You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 21, verses 1 through 7, a very short passage of Scripture, a familiar one at that. And I know you might be saying, well, Pastor Dan, weren't you in Acts? Yes, we were in Acts, but we're also in Easter. So we're going to take some time to recognize the Easter story And then we'll come back to finish out our study in Acts. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 7 says this. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village opposite you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. If anyone asks you and he says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done to be fulfilled, but was spoken by the prophet, saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them and brought them the colt and the donkey and set their clothes upon him and set him on them, verse 8. And then a great multitude spread out their clothes on the road and cut down branches from trees and spread them on the road. So the multitudes went before them, and those uh, cried out, saying in verse 9, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when they had come to Jerusalem, and all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And so the multitude said, this is Jesus. The king is coming. We saw that in the video. And Jesus rides into Jerusalem on that Sunday of the Passover week. It is Passover week in Jerusalem. One of three special feasts that every male Jewish person would come to Jerusalem to celebrate. And so he comes riding into Jerusalem comes humbly, unassuming and accessible. I want you to understand something today, that if you're sitting in church today and you're not a church person, if you understand what I'm talking about, you know, sometimes you go to church and you feel like I'm really out of place here. I don't dress like everybody else. I don't sound like everybody else. I've got some hang-ups and things that I'm not necessarily proud of, so I don't always feel comfortable in church. I want you to know something about Jesus, is that Jesus was always accessible. Jesus was always humble. Jesus was always willing to find time for interruptions into his life and his schedule. He took time for ordinary people. And that's really good news for us. That as ordinary as we may be, Jesus has time for us. He comes riding on a donkey, and the symbolism is twofold because any time a king was coronated in Jewish history, they usually rode in a coronation procession through the streets of Jerusalem, and they rode on a donkey. And the reason why they rode on a donkey is because a donkey was humble. A donkey is slow, right? Okay, you ever wonder, why is he riding a donkey? Why doesn't he ride like a horse, a majestic steed? Why aren't there people with trumpets before him and banners and all those sorts of, sorts of things going on? Why is, the, why is he riding on a donkey? And the reason for this is that a donkey is slow. A donkey can be stubborn. No one's threatened by a donkey. Am I right? Unless maybe you've owned a donkey and maybe he's not friendly to people. That might be a little different. But no one's saying, okay, if I, 
uh, riding a chariot, I'm going to be caught up by a, a man riding a donkey. That's probably not going to happen. So we see that Christ comes in humility, comes uh, in, as a coronation, as a king, something that the people would recognize. But he comes in a humble way as well. A donkey was also a symbol of peace because no one rides a donkey into battle. And Jesus' arrival is met with adulation, praise, and worship. Palms are waved. People are shouting. They're singing. They're clearing the streets before him. And people are laying their coats and their palms on the ground for people to walk over, like rolling out the red carpet. But not everybody is celebrating. And isn't that true? You can sit in the service where there's worship, there's praise, even when there's energetic music, and you can still see people, that, see people that aren't celebrating or getting into it. There are times where we, some people just can't be moved by things. And we sometimes are frustrated by that. But we also have to recognize not everybody recognizes the joy that we have in Christ or are excited about the Lord like we are. The reaction in the crowd varied. Some looked at Jesus as just a prophet and a teacher, a man from Nazareth riding a donkey. Others were expecting revolution. They wanted Jesus to overturn the Roman government. They were following Jesus for what he could give them. I want you to notice that for a minute. And ask yourself the question, am I following Jesus because of what he can give me, or am I following him because of who he is? And it's a soul-searching question, too, because there are times we're not always sure. Where we pray for something, we ask for something, we request things of God. And then when it doesn't happen, we find ourselves questioning our faithfulness and our following. Should we be doing that, though? Is that the reason why we follow him? Like the revolutionaries that were in the crowd and even among Jesus' own followers, remember that one of them was named Simon the Zealot, which means that he was an anti-Roman uh, enthusiast, a zealot for the cause of Jerusalem. And even Judas was hoping that someday that the kingdom would be set up and was greatly disappointed when that didn't happen. The Pharisees looked at him with outrage. How dare this man come in like a king riding on a donkey pretending to be sent from God. They had jealousy and hatred for everything that he was doing and all the attention they was getting. In other parts where we see that the uh, uh, triumphal entry is mentioned in all four Gospels, we see that in one part, the Pharisees even rebuke Jesus and say, tell the people to stop shouting and stop praising you. And Jesus said, if I tell them to stop praising you, me, the rocks will cry out and praise and lift up my name. The Roman soldiers looked at him with concern because you have to understand in a Roman-occupied territory, there was this massive tension between the Jews and the Romans. They were concerned that any sort of uprising, any sort of commotion could lead to a riot or a revolution. So there were probably Roman soldiers that were looking at this with a great deal of concern. There were those that looked at him with cynicism a prophet of Nazareth being king of the Jews, as one of the disciples once said, can anything good really come out of Nazareth? Who did he think he was? In the middle of all that, in the middle of the Passover, there were still people that were walking around, going about their business, not even concerned with what was actually happening. 
But there were those who did recognize Jesus. There were those who saw him coming and were caught up in the moment and started to worship him and to praise him. And my desire for you today is that you would, as you go into this holy week, as you go into this sacred time of celebration, that you would not forget how important this time of the year is and what it represents to us, and that you would start your week with joy, that you would start it with the love for Jesus and the following of Jesus that you once had when you first started that journey of following him. So how do you get ready to receive the king? How do we prepare ourselves to receive the coming of Jesus? The first thing we notice is that we do this by getting ready to receive him. Jesus sent out his disciples and he said, get everything ready. Follow my words. Follow my guidance. I have a plan. I have something that's laid out beforehand. And if you just follow my instruction, you will do well with your life. And so the disciples got ready for receiving him by following his instructions, by being ready for the things that he had set up for them to do beforehand. That's the first thing. Second thing, by laying everything down before him, the palms and the coats were signs of worship. They laid things down before him to be put under him. Have we done that with everything in our lives? Have we put everything in our lives under God's care and control? Have we laid them down at his feet before him? The people came displaying signs of worship and laid them down in a royal procession, clearing the road for him. And the people cried, Hosanna, which means Lord save. And they declared his kingship as if it were a coronation and looking for him to be something they wanted him to be. But have you laid everything down before Jesus? Thirdly, by choosing to follow him. The crowds heard about Jesus and they chose to follow him. Following Jesus is not just a one-time thing. Following Jesus is not a decision you make years ago when you were a kid and you decided to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is not just a prayer that you prayed when you were watching a Billy Graham crusade or that you were in a service. Following Jesus is not just something that you just do once and you're over with. Following Jesus is an everyday decision. Following Jesus is about being faithful to the Lord in every step of your life. And yes, there are times you stumble. There's times you fall. There's times you don't do as well a job as you would like to do, but the grace of God is present even in those circumstances and situations. But when we see that the king is here and he's among us, that we choose to follow after him. Even on a Sunday morning when we know that the king is here, that we respond in worship, that we follow after him, we say, Lord, we love you, we serve you, we want to do what you want us to do. We prepare for the coming of the king by declaring who he is. Number four, declaring who he is. The people were crying out beforehand. They were saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Lord, save us. Blessed is the one that comes in the name of the Lord. They were calling out and declaring him as king. And so they were shouting ahead of him, letting people know that he was here. I wonder sometimes, do we tell people about Jesus in that way? Are we as excited about Jesus as this crowd was on that uh, first Sunday of Passover? Are we excited about God in such a way that we let people know that it's Jesus that's in our life? 
why we decide to do the things that we do and the things that we don't do? Do people know it's Jesus in our lives that, has the, that is the reason behind that? Or do they just simply think we're a nice person? Or do they think that we're just good? Or do they know the reason for the hope that we have and why we do the things that we do? Palm Sunday begins the story, but the story doesn't end there. This is only Sunday, and there's so much more that happens in this week. There's the clearing of the temple that happens immediately after this. There's Jesus' teachings about the signs of the end of the age. There's his arrest on Thursday night. There's his trial and crucifixion on Friday and his eventual resurrection on Sunday. On Sunday, the crowd worshipped him as he rode into the city. But by Friday, many had abandoned this idea and then abandoned him, instead crying out for him to be crucified. So much can change in such a short period of time. One day, everybody wants to follow Jesus. And the next day, they desert him because he doesn't do what he wants them to do. I want to emphasize that because when we read the Easter story, we sometimes read it with outrage at how quickly the crowd turned on Jesus. But we must always check our own hearts to make sure that we're not following Jesus only for what he can do for us and what he can give us. Because if that's the only reason why we're following him, then our devotion, our faithfulness is already built on thin ice. Eventually, it will break and fall apart because if we're only following Jesus for what he can give us, what he can do for us, and what we want from him, then eventually you'll lead to disappointment at some point in time. But is your devotion because of who he is? Listen, worshiping God on Sunday is wonderful, but God is equally as concerned for what you do with the rest of the week. Does your devotion and praise and love for the Lord go beyond just that one day of the week? Well, it's Sunday. I'm supposed to worship God. And then I go out for lunch after. That's what I do. You know, the good practice is that you used to go to the buffet, and you would go to the buffet after service. And some of us are in service, and all we're looking forward to is our lunch plans after. But we did, we did our thing. We did worship on Sunday, so that's enough. No, it's more than just Sunday. Worshiping God is more than just one day a week for an hour and a half, or dare I even say it, two hours. Right? You know? And so we, we look at these things, and we must recognize and remember that the serving and worshiping of a God is more than just one day a week. Our devotion to Christ is not measured in how loud you praise him on Sunday, but how you live for him during the week. I'll say that again. It's not about how loud you praise him on Sunday. It's about how you live for him during the week. Do you serve him through the difficulty of the crucifixion in the darkest times of your life? Do you stay with Jesus in the darkest moments of your life, or do you doubt and desert him? Because that's human nature. God, where are you? Where are you in this moment? And we read it in the Psalms. We read it in Job. We read it in different parts. God, where are you? When things are dark, when things are difficult, when there's despair at work in our hearts. But we should understand that even as the psalmist said in Psalm 23, though I walk through the very valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. May we remind ourselves of that, that you are still with me. 
It's like the sun that's, the sun is out right now. It doesn't look like it's out right now, but it is. It's hidden behind the clouds. God's presence in the life of the believer is still present whether you can see him and his physical, tangible qualities or not. God is still there. Do you still call him king on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday when you had a bad day at work, when you had an argument with your wife, when your kids won't do what they say they're going to do, when things are difficult at home, when you're going through the worst experiences of your life, when you have to do your taxes, do you still call him king? In the middle of all that. Can you still say that you love him and that you follow him and you worship him? Can you still say that after everything you've been through this week that God's still on the throne and that you still love him as much as you did when the week was off to a new start and the songs were good and there was worship in your heart and the word was being preached? Can you still love him even when things aren't going great? Following Jesus is easy when the crowd's doing it. It's easy to get caught up in the moment with shouts of adulation and praise. It's easy to follow when everyone else is following him. But what about the times where Jesus was alone? What about Gethsemane? What about the times that he was betrayed and left on his own? Would you still follow him then? Between Sunday and Good Friday, the crowds dwindled went from hundreds of people praising and following him to the 12 at the Last Supper to 11 at Gethsemane. And then at the end of Gethsemane, it was just Jesus and his accusers. Finally, when he's brought to trial and he's brought to the cross, out of everyone that loved him and followed him, out of the crowds and crowds that had praised him, only four were left at the cross. We see the disciple John and Mary Magdalene Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the wife of Cleopas. Those are the only four that are with Jesus at the last. So it's easy to follow Jesus when everyone's doing it. It's easy to follow Jesus when everyone in your small group is doing it. It's easy to follow Jesus when we have a full church on Sunday morning. It's easy to be excited about those things. It's easy when you work in a Christian workplace or you have a youth group or a family that serves God. It's easy when everybody else is doing it. Doesn't mean you should do it because everybody else is doing it, though. It goes back to those times when your mom said, well, if your friend jumped off a bridge, would you do it too? I said, well, if you lived on the Cape, yeah, you did because we had kids in our youth group that jumped off the bridges all the time because they had those little bridges that weren't very high and they had the, you know, the swimming areas, and so they did that. But would you do it just, are you doing it just because everybody else is doing it? And here's been the challenge in the pandemic is that when we haven't all gathered together and we haven't all been together, we've realized that our faith was so deeply connected to our sense of friendship and community that when we didn't have that anymore, we found our faith faltering. But our faith is deeper than that. And your faith will have to take a deeper stand as you go through life because you have to understand that there will be times where you'll have to go through things alone. Not alone with God, but just sometimes there are places in your life and struggles that you go through that no one's going to understand. That no one else is able to go with you. There's going to be times where physically in your body you're in pain or you're sick or you're dealing with different things or you're dealing with stresses in your life or challenges that no one else can know about because they're controversial or shameful and you walk through those journeys on your own. But there are going to be times where you have to do it by yourself. 
Whether you're a single mom or you're a divorced dad or you've gone through difficulty or you're facing pain in your body or surgery or a a terminal illness, there are things that sometimes you have to go through by yourself that no one else will understand. But is God still on the throne, even in the middle of that? Has, Has any of that changed who he is? Has he abdicated his throne? Has he stepped down from his position? Has he resigned from his position and said, what you're going through is too much. I can't possibly handle it anymore. We see a culture today that quits. People are quitting on life. They're quitting on jobs. They're quitting on church. They're quitting on marriages. They're quitting on their family. But would God quit on you? No. So we ask ourselves, are we still faithful even after Sunday past. What will you do when you go through the darkest and most difficult times of your life? What happens when you go through your own personal Gethsemane or your own personal Golgotha where things get dark and things get difficult and things seem like death is surrounding you? Will you still follow him then? When following Jesus gets difficult, will you stay with him all the way to the end Because as as dark as Good Friday looks, there's a victory coming on Sunday. You see, Palm Sunday is not the measure of of a believer's and follower's devotion, but rather the measure of a believer's devotion to the Lord was not those who were looking for him on Palm Sunday, but those who were looking for him on Resurrection Sunday. Because that was a smaller group, you see. Hundreds of people were praising and and calling out and and worshiping Jesus on Palm Sunday. But by the end of the week, when they realized he wasn't what they thought he was going to be, or that he wasn't going to do what they thought he should do, they turned on him. But the measure of your devotion is, are you with him even after all that? And when it says that the tomb is empty, are you looking for him still? It's easy to get caught up in the crowd, even when the crowd turns. The same crowd, many of the same people that had worshipped Jesus on Sunday were now calling out for his crucifixion on Friday. On Sunday, they call for him to be crowned, and on Friday, they call for him to be crucified. And that's how quickly the hearts and minds of people can change. That's how fickle human beings can be. When Jesus doesn't turn out to be what they want him to be. Minds are changed by situation and circumstances. The kingship of Jesus, however, is not undone by the fickle nature of humanity. Why? Because man did not give Jesus his kingship. Jesus is not an elected official. We didn't vote Jesus into kingship. Okay? He wasn't a tribal leader that his fellow tribesmen exalted him to a place of kingship. In fact, when people tried to make Jesus king, an earthly king, he often resisted that and withdrew. He didn't want people to make him king. He didn't want to be a king among men. So the kingship of Jesus is not because of anything we've done. Whether you choose to acknowledge Jesus or not does not make him king. It does not cancel his kingship because his kingship is given by God himself. The Father has imparted that unto him. His position is irrevocable. His position is secure. Why? Because it is given by God himself. No act of man can undo it. Nothing can change it. It has been established from the beginning of time and is set in stone. Jesus before Pontius Pilate said that his kingdom is not of this world. 
He said to his disciples that he lays down his life only to take it up again, willingly of his own accord. So the lordship and kingship of Jesus doesn't come from us. It comes straight from the Father above. And he has given Jesus all power, authority, wisdom, and strength, both now and forevermore. So whether we acknowledge him as king or not doesn't affect the fact that he actually is king. It just affects whether or not we recognize him as king over our lives. Whether we look at him as our, just our Savior who saves us from our sins or as our Lord, the one that we pledge allegiance to and follow. Can I say this today? You can't really call Jesus king unless you're willing to give him everything. To call Jesus king means that there's no one higher, there's no one greater in all of creation and in all of your life than him. Nothing, and I'll say it again, nothing is more important than following him. And that everything in your life is placed before him. That he is first in your decision making. He is first in your worship. He is first in your love and devotion. To say that Jesus is king is not just simply something that we get caught up in and we celebrate uh, just one time a year on Palm Sunday. When we say Jesus is king, it's say, God, what do you want me to do? This situation is difficult. What do you want me to do? And then when he tells you to do it, actually do it making God-honoring decisions, choosing that even your family is not more important than following God. Even your boyfriend or girlfriend is not more important than following God. Even uh, when it comes to things that you're offered, opportunities that you're given that may contradict and compromise your values, when that opportunity comes up, you say, I'm not doing it because this does not honor God. God is put first in all things. When you're following Jesus, when you say he's king, we're saying, I choose to follow him and what he says goes. If following Jesus only had to do with what we want and what we're getting from him, we really aren't treating him as king. What we're really treating him as is servant. We've got the roles reversed. Jesus, I want you to do this for me. And then when he doesn't do, all of a sudden we become frustrated and annoyed because he's not doing what we would ask him to do. But when we do that, we got the roles reversed. Choosing to, to put Jesus first, choosing to serve him as king is about when you make a decision to go to college, even if it's for a secular profession, you're saying, I will use this to honor God in some way. When you come to church and you say, you know, I come to church not because my family comes to church, not because it's the thing I'm supposed to do, but because I want to honor God. Every Sunday that we come together, we're celebrating Palm Sunday. Every Sunday that we come together, we're honoring Jesus. Because we're giving him praise and glory that's due and deserving to his name. He doesn't demand it of himself, but it is the nature of who he is that makes us cry out and say, worthy, glory, hosanna, praise to the king. When Jesus came the first time, men tried to put him on the cross and put an end to his claim as king. But when Jesus comes a second time, no one can stop his coronation. No one will be able to stop his crown being placed on his head as king. Jesus is indeed coming again. And when he comes a second time, it will be very different than his first coming. Revelation 19 verse 11 says this. And now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it was called Faithful and True. 
And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. When Jesus comes again, he won't be riding a donkey. When Jesus comes again, he won't be coming in humility on the coats of disciples or on the branches of palms. He won't be coming lowly and humble, but he'll be coming in power and glory and majesty. He will come with crowns upon his head. He will come with robes in white. He will come with a sword that proceeds out of his mouth. He will come on a white horse, which is always a symbol of war and conquest. When he comes a second time, he will come to make right that which is wrong and to bring about a victory. The king is coming again. The first coming prepares us for the second coming. The king came once in humility, but when he comes a second time, he will come in glory. And yet today, the attitudes of many are the same as they were in Jerusalem that day. There are still people that think about and look at his coming with skepticism. Now, surely he's not going to be coming. And even in the days of the early church that Paul had to write and Peter had to write about, Don't think for a moment when people say that the Lord's not coming back that he's forgotten his promise to come back. He indeed will return, whether it seems like it's a long time or not. There are still those who uh, approach the coming of Christ with boredom and complacency. Some can't even be bothered. We come to church on Sunday and we worship him, but then the rest of the week you wouldn't know that they were Christians at all. Because there's nothing about their life that declares that. Are we serving God still? Does the idea of loving and following Jesus still excite us? Or is it just something like, yeah, I follow Jesus. I kind of do that. But it should stir us once again for love and passion. I'm amazed at how some believers treat the second coming of Christ with boredom and complacency with well, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. And some even doubt that it'll actually occur. So many Christians are Sunday Christians. But aren't we more than just that? The reactions we saw on the first arrival when Jesus came in are some of the same reactions we see today. Sometimes it's indifference. Sometimes we see a world today that is angry and upset who wants to silence the church and silence the the declaration of the gospel who want to undermine and try and undo or stop the coming of the king and you are met with hostility whether in school or in the workplace or among your relatives because you're a Christian. I want you to know today none of those things will cancel his coming. None of those things will undo who he is. And rest assured he is coming. But what will your reaction be? Will your reaction be, it's just another Sunday, it's just another Easter, it's just another year, or will you respond every day worshipfully? Will you respond every day with loud Hosanna saying, Lord, this world is a mess. Hosanna. Lord, save us. Lord, come to us when we need you the most. We are putting our hope and our trust and our future in you. Without you, we just simply cannot make it. 
Will we still praise and worship him when the time comes to praise and worship him, whether it's publicly or privately? Does your heart still leap within you? Does joy still fill your soul? Are you still touched by the presence of God? Or has it lost all meaning to you to the point that you've listened to that worship album so much that you just tune it out? But does loving God still move you inside? Does the inside of your heart and soul still cry out, Hosanna to the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Worship is the expression of a grateful heart. Worship is what keeps us moving and motivated for the Lord. Worship connects us with the throne room of God. Worship has our spirit connect with his spirit that we say, Abba, Father, you are truly our Lord and we love you today. Worship is so much more than singing. What if we can bow our heads for a moment, just a moment of honest reflection, with our eyes closed without anyone looking around? I want to ask you a question. Worship is so much more than singing. Palm Sunday reminds us that it wasn't just about shouting and singing and dancing and, and making way for the Lord. Those things are important. But I want you to think about what they did to. They laid things down before him. They honored him by laying things down before him. And they allowed him to walk over them, showing that he is in control, giving place to him, letting him be over those things they laid down. In Ephesians 1.22, it says that God has placed all things under Jesus' feet, things in the earth, above the earth, and under the earth, giving him a name above every other name. The question is that I ask you today, have you laid everything down at his feet? Your stresses, your frustrations, your problems, the challenges that come your way, the unanswered questions. Have you laid these things all down at his feet that you can say, Lord, I don't understand. I don't know what's going on. But Lord, I lay these things down before you. Even my family, even my job, everything is laid before you. My health, it's laid before you. God, do what you will. I choose to submit to you and let you be over all things. And my heart for you today is that you would ask yourself that question in this moment that we're together, in this moment of honesty before the Lord. And if you haven't done so already, will you just in this moment say, Lord, I give that to you. I give that thing that stresses me out. I give you that thing that worries me. I give you that thing that seems so important to me that I'm afraid of letting go. Today, I put my life, my future, my hopes, my dreams in your hands, knowing that he will take care of you. Knowing that he is in control and letting him be in control. Will you do that this morning? Will you give it over to him, whatever it is, and let the Lord be king over your situation today? Let's pray. God, I just pray today for each person, Lord. Every person has something that they're carrying. And Lord, we have things that are so important to us that we're afraid to share them with anyone. We're afraid to let them go. But Lord, part of our recognition of you as king 
is laying all things down before you. Like the four and twenty elders in the book of Revelation, they casted their crowns down before you because they recognize everything that they have is from you. Lord, everything that we have today is from you, our health. Lord, the money in our bank accounts, Lord, the family we have, Lord, the blessings of salvation, everything that we have comes from you. So I pray today for those that are here and as they've been thinking, as they've been contemplating and praying, Lord, maybe there's some things that you're putting your finger on right now that they need to lay down before you. And I pray that they would do so and trust your leading, your guiding, and your care. Lord, work in each person's heart and life. And may we truly rejoice, Lord, knowing that you are not just our Savior. You're not just someone who saved us and cleaned us up and gave us a new life, but, Lord, that our hope and our future is in you. So, Lord, may we submit to you, not only today, but every day following. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.